Yes. All right. So here we are with Dale. Local Voices. First Local Voices podcast. Jingle to come. Jingle to come. Uh, That's, you know, that's nice filler. But uh, what's more important is the mission and the purpose of uh, getting us together here. Uh, So here today we have Dale. Dale, we, uh, if I recall, we met on the bus here on uh, Haight Street. Isn't that right? Uh, So we don't know too much more about each other than that. I, I'd be more comfortable if we give him an opportunity to share his last name. If you like, if you don't like, then you're just Dale. Oh, no, he's very careful, Dale. Okay. That's what we've learned from our chili time All together. Right. It's basically on a need-to-know basis. <laughs> All right. Yeah. You know, he'll, you follow him on Instagram. You might find out his name then. Uh, but, but it's not something that's a need-to-know at this point. But Dale, you know, uh, it's funny that we met. We were actually, me and Ari here, co-host, we were, uh, we were at our acting class. And uh, we were on the way back from acting class, and we are talking about the podcast, uh, at least the goal to do this podcast, and connect the community together, and uh, Dale here was, you had, you were just gone to some podcast meetup? I just came from a podcast meetup, Okay. and I was like, what is the synchronicity of that? You're talking (laughs) about podcasts on the bus coming back from the podcast meetup. Yeah. And you had a folder with you or something like that. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. So... We got exchanged numbers. We were both very friendly, open people. Dale's very careful, but he's, I guess I must have gotten through his, uh, his, uh, you know, his coat of armor, so to speak. I'm openly, <laughs> I'm openly mm-hmm. careful. <laughs> um, and yeah, I think we might have connected briefly about the mission, the purpose for this podcast, which is uh, to highlight local characters uh, who ideally, you know, people you interact with a lot but don't necessarily get very deep with. Uh, so I like to kind of share the example of, you know, a muni driver, a yoga teacher, uh, you know, s- someone, a bartender, someone you interact with a lot, but you never really get deep with. Like I, I go to a lot of different yoga. A hooker. A hooker, sure. <laughs> yeah, you don't really find out her life story. But I go to a lot of yoga studios on the, on the kind of flip end of things, and uh, I never really get to chat very much with, you know, fitness instructors or muni drivers or people who service us you know it's it's rare that the service industry gets its true voice and yet they're the ones we see the most often and so in your typical community uh, a smaller town smaller community you know you imagine the way it used to be and you would know the people that you saw every day you know you'd kind of get to know them a bit more than today today we're a bit more distracted by social media what do you um, say? By our jobs and whatnot. Sorry, I got distracted. S- yeah. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, we're more distracted these days, so we don't go as deep with the people who serve us. And so there's a feeling of, of not being connected as much. Yeah. Uh, and there's no Sunday sermon to bring everyone together. There's no, you know, church to kind of, you know, chat and, and feel like everyone's accepted. So. What, did they close them all? Yeah, I mean, they're still out there. It's atheist church. I wonder why, you know, people don't even go to these atheist, there's atheist services. And Does that really surprise you, though, that they don't go to atheist services? <laughs> I'm well, actually a born-again atheist. Um, I used to, well, I'm actually more of a born-again agnostic because I lost my faith in atheism. Okay. <laughs> That's funny. Well, it's just, as dogmatic, <laughs> it's just as dogmatic to be an atheist and say, I know, I have believed that there is no God, you know, because I have faith that there yeah, is no God. Yeah, there's levels of that so conviction. I, I, I lost my faith in atheism, and so I have to say that I'm a born-again agnostic. Then that's how we probably will truly will end up, but uh, that's to be very humble, right, to have that beginner's mind, to, to really admit that you, you don't know, uh, you, you very much do not know. Is, uh, is it agnostic to say that, I don't think it's a question necessarily that important to ask. <laughs> That's always been my take is, you know, let's say there's a God, he's running the world, the world, you know, he set the rules, you know, and sets go. And then gets to basically sit back and watch the world do its own thing. If we're doing our own thing and the rules are in place, do we really need to care if there's a God anymore? Oh, That's, I just thought you know, of a great, a great yeah. uh, 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 religion for that. It would be called dismissiveism. Yeah, I'm down with that. I, could be the... I mean, but will we fill the churches on that? I don't even know if we would. So I, I think the whole... No, because I mean... everyone would dismiss it. <laughs> yeah. So it's hard to get people together, you know, and uh, hard to cross over and connect people. But ideally, people these days, I've noticed, uh, are more and more 
listening to podcasts either on their commute, you know, when they're alone in in this in the community. In their alienation. Yeah, yeah, we're all alone, and but we're listening at least sometimes uh, to different podcasts, and so I figured it would be a good idea to get to know the stories of people in our community uh, more than we do, and so. Today, Dale, tonight, is all about you, uh, and all about your story. It's, I've heard that before. Yeah, but this is the truth, Dale. It's not about, I mean... It's all about you. You, you heard, hey, we were up at dinner right before this. I was Delicious making, chili. I was making the chili. I didn't speak a cent. I don't think my opinion has much weight at all, actually, so I'm, I'm more interested in, in what you have to say. Um, but let's start with you, Dale. As a character profile, uh, what... I mean, yeah. Let's start with simple. How did you uh, How did you come to move to San Francisco, Dale? Well, actually, I was staying with friends in L.A. when I was 19. It was very cold back in New York, and I came out here, and I came up to San Francisco for the weekend, and ended up spending 30 years or more here. Wow! And I'm not the only one. So you are the the official the weekend. You're like that could be I'm your, a weekender. Yeah, that could be your your nickname as the well. The weekender. Yeah, that's a good idea. <laughs> so you okay? So you you fell in love with something here? Or? I did. I totally fell in love with San Francisco. Okay, you don't hear that all all yeah, the time. Head over heels. <laughs> what was it though? Like, what do you remember specifically? Something you saw, an experience you had, and you said like, I've got to be here. The atmosphere, the vibe, the um, see, when I moved here, it was the the end of the 60s, which in other words was the 70s and early 80s. Mm-hmm. And at that time, what had happened in the 60s was still happening here to a very small degree. And um, that was one of the things that I liked. And also, I always felt that I was kind of uh, radical back in New York, but there were some things that were like so radical here. Like when I moved here, people were into fist fucking and um, shooting LSD. And I thought maybe I'm a little bit more mainstream <laughs> than I thought I was. Shooting um, LSD? I thought you just popped it. Yeah. And yeah, uh, yeah. and so. That's, um, that's the idea. Shooting LSD sounds pretty out there <laughs> yeah yeah and so uh, the it was sort of like the first generation of neo hippies mm-hmm. um, the, the the original hippies were gone well some of them were still there but there were still crash pads um, and that vibe was still still happening um, dead concert the afterglow the afterglow. Yeah. That's a so good you, way to you put it. You enjoyed the afterglow. I enjoyed the afterglow, and I enjoyed the coattails. It was basically the coattails of the '60s. Like, for instance, when I went to university here, uh, the uh, administration had been up against the wall. There were student strikes in the '60s, and they didn't realize how conformist and compliant people would be after that and they assume that if they if they put any sort of pressure on um, the students that that they would uh, get their offices trashed like what actually happened in the 60s but little by little they realized that they could reassert their power um, and but I was lucky because they hadn't done that yet you know like for instance the general education requirement they were like yeah, just take whatever you want. So I was like the only white guy in black studies, the only, mm-hmm. well, one of the only uh, uh, males in women's studies, like the only non-Latino mm-hmm. in Hispanic studies, and, and which, so on. Which program was this? SF State? or mm-hmm. yeah. You went to SF State, and you studied, you put yourself literally in the most awkward situations you could in every class possible. Yes, yes. <laughs> I wanted I to get that. out of my yeah. comfort zone. That was... That's beautiful, and that's yeah. and that's a key virtue actually in, in today's age, day and age. You know, a lot of us don't do that enough, and that's you know I think. And that's why I came here to be encouraged. Yeah, I mean, yeah, there's a certain out of your comfort zone of San Francisco. Always, it's so weird here. No, I meant the this podcast. Yeah. Oh yeah, you, I've never been in a podcast. You're very adventurous to come here. Yeah. We're very we're very uh, scary people, me and Ari here. So it's it's nice that you t- you know you you drew up all your courage to come out and meet us. <laughs> Uh, <laughs> and and happy to have you. I mean, 
that it's a very weird town for sure, and, and that's what some people. Well, you never some, know what they put in the. Chili. It's kind of like you know some people get off to that weird to, to being in that out of their comfort zone. I, for me personally, that's one of if I can say one of my strengths, it is that I am pretty fearless in, in terms of I'm willing to throw myself in situations where some people would you know have fear and not, and I I like to be in weird situations. Me so, too. So I have I have a past that exhibits this, and we'll get into that later probably, but. I'd say, you know, that's the key. People who like San Francisco, they are okay with seeing absurd things around them. And as you're walking today, if you're listening to podcasts on the way to work or something, and you're seeing the Tenderloin or, or homeless people on the street, now that's that's not the greatest, uh, you know, dimension of weirdness. It's a Dickens novel. But it's, it's Dick, nonetheless, it's tragedy. And it's, it's nonetheless uh, an emotional roller coaster ride that you're exposed to in San Francisco. Um, and so, you know, that's one of the reasons if you like living here, you have to be okay with kind of being out of your comfort zone all the time. Um, and so, Dale, I mean, what, what would you say makes you weird? What's one of your weird characteristics, um, that you've, that, that's PG that my mom can listen to here? Are we PG? <laughs> Nothing. I guess I, I'm going to send this to my mom, so that's kind of Nothing one of the keys. PG. Uh, There's nothing about you, PG. Come on. Well, nothing about my weirdness. That's, yeah, that's so a PG. weird weirdness. No, I, question. I don't know well, what makes you super weird and what's PG, right? Right. I mean, is is no one PG out there? I, I got. Everyone has their character traits, and and, and we just established that in the San Francisco back in the day, fist fucking was the fad. We're back to that. Sorry, mom. <laughs> Fist fucking. So is that one of your? Is that gonna get edited out? I oh no, I I love to edit as le little as possible. To be honest, I mean that's uh, the nature yeah. of a good conversation. So, uh, no, yeah. What's yeah. one of your weird traits that you can share? I mean, I have reverse imposter syndrome. Um, I like to uh, uh, sneak into things. I like when mm -hmm. I was a teenager. I'd sneak into rock concerts. Uh, first uh, dead concert I snuck into, um, uh, so that's I guess that's. Was really that your would that be your favorite band at that? Uh, back then the it was. Uh, I, I still liked them. But yeah. You know. So you sneak into things. What's the last cr crazy oh. event you snuck into? Oh in RSA. I, I hacked my way into the cybersecurity conference. Okay. What about like a big concert or show or anything like that? Yeah. Um, haven't done that lately, but I, I, I've snuck into probably 50 concerts or something like that. Okay. Are you the kind of person that, that thinks when you're confronted by, say, the local security staff, you think well on your feet? Well, my feet run when I'm confronted by the okay, security yeah. staff. Okay, yeah. Some people that um, you have a talent for talking their way into situations. Oh, well, no, actually I did. Uh, one time I snuck back the the holy grail of sneak in was to get onto the the stage uh, at the grateful dead concert mm -hmm. and um so when the hell's angels back was turned i walked onto the stage you know the backstage area not mm -hmm. actually you know in front of the stage where where they're performing or anything just to be able to hear and, and hang out and so um i was enjoying it for about 20 minutes and this uh hell's angel uh, he was huge. He, you know, you think you're big. This guy was like seven feet tall or something. And and he says, you know what we do to people who sneak back here uh, unauthorized? And I just started speaking to him in French. And he <laughs> he had like he, he didn't know how to deal with that. Like his robot programming was not like he he just didn't know how to deal with that. And and then someone else tried to sneak in, and then I managed to get away. Okay. Um, so yeah. Well, Dale, I well think played. you know. Yeah, you like to sneak into places. That's great. But <laughs> I think you also have a certain health habits you can share. I mean, from what I've from what I've uh, oh, yeah. observed of you so far, you, you do like to eat fairly vegetarian. Uh, when did that start? That started when I was a teenager as well. Uh, I think I was like fifteen, something like that. Okay. And was there a moment where uh, like a dark moment with the the beef? Oh, <laughs> sir, was you want me to tell you the beef story? Beef story. Or the corned beef story? Yeah, well, <laughs> um, okay, so after about the first year, all the things that I used to love 
you know, hamburgers, steak, chicken, all that stuff that I used to eat on a daily basis, sometimes three times a day, because I, I was raised with bacon and eggs for breakfast, hamburger for lunch, and steak sometimes for dinner. And all of that stuff, after about a year, I didn't dislike it, but I had no desire to eat it anymore. It's like my taste changed, or the cells recycled, or whatever. And then, but for years, seven years, I had that seven-year itch for a corned beef sandwich from a New York deli, the Carnegie Deli specifically, and I just couldn't get out of my head. It was like this craving, and finally I was going on a round-the-world trip, and I never, I didn't know if I was ever going to even come back to this country, and I was like, okay, I'm going to do it, and I went there, and they say like it's difficult because you don't have the, the How enzymes long had it to. Been? It had been seven years since yeah. I had any meat whatsoever, and they say that like your digestive enzymes change yeah. and you can no longer. I had absolutely no problem whatsoever except for this stabbing needle-like pain in my stomach, mm. um, uh, and uh, and then every few years, even though I consider myself a vegetarian, I will indulge. I will, yeah. And I'm you always get the pain? I'm, I'm vegetarian-ish, let's yeah. say. So you, you had no, this, no, just this craving for years. How or why did you overcome the craving? I didn't overcome the craving. I gave into the craving well, after, after seven, seven years. years. You did, but yeah. I mean, that's, that's a long time you know, to, to go. I was wondering if there was anything that you told yourself or you know, what it was that sort of... Yeah, I told myself I was a vegetarian, yeah. and I'm really good at postponing my gratification. Sometimes yeah. it takes seven years for me to... <laughs> seven years um, is, a, is a pretty long amount of yeah. time to push that off. Yeah. Um, yeah, so uh, there's, a lot of, there's a lot of uh, trying to be vegans here in San Francisco. Um, so your, your experience mm -hmm. could help some of them. Maybe, maybe they can just realize that uh, every seven years they'll get a wonderful stabbing in the stomach when, like, they, like when they lose jubilee their... Like a jubilee involves getting oh. stabbed in the stomach. Yeah. I also don't... Um, I also avoid uh, any GMO. Uh, Genetically modified. Yeah, because uh, even if the GMO uh, is safe, which has definitely not been proved, the reason they have it is because of glyphosate, which is a pesticide that's a proven carcinogen that they uh, uh, liberally spread on all the GMO uh, food. That's one of the reasons they have GMO, is, is for glyphosate. So um, let's see, what else? Um, I don't know, ask the question. You, would you exercise? Oh, yeah. Um, I, I walk incessantly, bicycle, um, scoot, and I do yoga almost every night. At night, okay. Um, yeah. On your own. You did on my own. Yoga. I had a I had a good friend who was a um, a Yengar instructor. So he 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 gave me private lessons mm -hmm. to get the alignments down, mm -hmm. which is really important if you want the yeah, sure. flow. And then also, I teach and practice uh, a Taoist form of what people would consider to be tantra, which is um, storing up your uh, fluids mm -hmm. and not emitting them. I'm trying to be P PG for you here. Oh, very. That um, was the most PG I could imagine. I, I'm still um, trying to just find out what you're talking about. I think you're saying to basically abstain from, you know, you know, uh, eject. Uh, that's a that's a strong word. But um, ba basically, yeah. You, you got it. I think I think we already broke our cherry on dirty <laughs> language in this episode. Okay. Okay. So. <laughs> I think so we're free I go, here. I go for weeks or months at a time without ejaculating while having internal orgasms yeah. um, every day, sometimes 30 to 50 of them. 30 uh, to 50? Isn't that kind of distracting? Yeah, but it's a good distracting. <laughs> Interesting. Um, uh, that's why I remember like women would say, you know, porn, it's all the same. And I'd say, yeah, it's all the same, but it's a good all the same. Yeah. Um, so... So what I remember from a human sexuality class that took way back um, that you could train up to the internal orgasm, but part of that comes from um, from building up the muscles, the Kegels, right? That's you do right, and I do Kegels every day as well. Yeah. So you actually had to train your muscles up to be able to experience this, right? 
I'm not really sure because I did. It, I started doing this so long ago. I think that you could. What? It, it's sort of true that that if you train it, you're able to do it more and and stronger and get closer to the edge. Mm -hmm. um, but you can do it without doing kegels. You don't have to. Not, well, I mean, everyone is different. Yeah. You know. Well, yeah. There's certain muscles that help. Yeah, yeah. It definitely help the helps, cause of pleasure. But I wouldn't say that you have to do it. Okay. Some people probably do, but anyway. So, so you teach this? You teach I this? teach it, yes. Who are your pupils? They're mostly, there's a different, there's different tranches of, of people. It's sometimes uh, people who just realize that there's got to be something more to sex. They just know intuitively, instinctively, that what they're experiencing is really good, but there's just got to be more. So that's one subset. Then the second subset is guys who come too quick, which is most guys actually, but uh, uh, present company, sexcluded of course, but, um, <laughs> uh, and then, um, you know, people who are spiritually seeking because what you're doing is you're closing the gates of life and death. And so the theory is that it's much more healthy for you um, to not uh ejaculate because you're going to lose your uh life spiritual essence. energy yes mm -hmm. and of course the french uh call ejaculation le petit mort because it is the yeah. little the little death yeah. and so and, th and then there's the people who who actually really strongly feel that they are not uh feeling um healthy and they are absolutely exhausted after they come. They are abs They are losing so much energy that they are debilitated to some degree. Um, so. So you're almost yeah. You're a, a builder of energy. Yeah, you're you're, uh, you're help people kind of build up their personal energy and not lose it through sex through whatever way they're currently losing it. Exactly. So you help people build up their energy, their, their psychic. And move their energy. Take their energy that's stuck in their sexual centers and then move it kundalini? up to the top. Have of you exactly. heard of the Kundalini? Yes, yeah. yes. It's Kundalini energy that's moving up to the crown chakra. There you want it from a Hindu perspective. Well, I think you belong here, my friend. <laughs> You're talking very New Age San Francisco yes. uh, lingo here. Yes, uh, and I took holistic, holistic health and, and I do Reiki. I had no belief in Reiki, but then like the people I was doing on told me it was miraculous or whatever. So there you go. I actually uh, I went down to L.A. Uh, last year. I I did my whole Reiki training thing. Or you did? Yeah, just just for fun. I wanted to see what it was like. Um, it was just like a session, I and mean, I was appointed Reiki, you know, first level healer or whatever. So I I I was interested in the whole um, psychic energy arts and whatnot. Um, and I have a whole past about that, but I think, you know, good daily habits, uh, you know, if, if I'll share one here just quickly, it's my favorite thing is just to wake up and, and have a journal that, you know, no matter what you write in, you, you, you pull a new page every day and you say, what am I thankful for? And then you write three things and then you write, what good will I do today? And then you write three things. Mm. That's like my only key to life is if you can do that every morning, you're going to have better days and uh, you know, you're going to contribute to society uh, in some in some fashion. So that's my that's my one secret. I'm wondering if you have anything similar. Well, actually very similar. Uh, at night, I am I give thanks for at least 10 things. It's usually more than 10 things. And then I allow myself to smile on the 10th. And uh, like, for instance, I'll say, well, we had a, you know, great dinner and uh, great conversation and I'm uh, thankful that I have uh, uh, verbality and uh, or verbosity or whatever and um, the the taste and the nutrition of the chili and I'll be thankful for that and um, my friend went blind from type 1 diabetes so I give thanks for my sight and I'll think of something beautiful that I saw, and I'll give thanks for that, and I'll give thanks for my cat, and thanks for having mobility, because a lot of people mm. are handicapped, and 
I consider myself temporarily abled because most people end up disabled at some point in their life and that I had a nice walk and the climate that we're not uh, past uh, two degrees centigrade yet <laughs> and uh, um, all sorts of different things I'll think of and and my beautiful Edwardian flat here in San Francisco Edwardian and mm -hmm. uh, uh, not as nice as a Victorian because labor costs were getting up there by the time Edward was uh, <laughs> king instead of Victoria but um, still uh, some nice some nice detailing and uh, um, just all the different things in my life that um, a lot of people take for granted and feel entitled to and I found that I would um, do the same thing if I didn't consciously thankful be thankful for it and then that feeling of thankfulness and serenity and calmness and, and whatnot that it brings carries over to the next day I found yeah. without on a conscious level thinking oh yeah I gave thanks for my sight or hearing some music and being able to hear it all and all that kind of stuff just the feeling itself uh, it would carry over to the next day interesting so you've one up to me a bit here I was talking well, about no, my morning habit and you're saying Actually, the night habit is what creates the awesome morning, and I think you're right. It's it's getting ahead of it a bit. Well, I apologize for that, but I, <laughs> you went up to me with the, what good am I going to do? I don't have to add that, because that's that's genius. Uh, what good am I going to do with that? all that thankfulness? Yeah, you know? It, I like that. And without but fail? Without fail? I mean, and is, is this something that's like an idealist way to fall asleep, or is it something that you've ingrained in your habits just that... 90% of the time you do this or is it or like what percentage of the time do you say you actually do this 99% it's wow. part of my ritual my ritual is yeah. basically I do yoga um, I'll do some physical therapy with uh, kegel exercises and then before I go to sleep it's very rare that I won't uh, because I like smiling and and I and I as I said I, I uh, I'm good at um, uh, withholding my gratification, delaying it, and that until I think of that tenth thing, I'm not allowed to smile. And you hold so, it back. Yeah, yes, yeah. I withhold a smile. Um, it's it's very yeah. similar to sex. Yeah. What I'm curious <laughs> about actually is when you're thinking about um, things you're you, that, that you have gratitude for. Uh, you know, at a certain point, you were saying that you you have sight and that you're able, and then also you're mentioning two degrees. Centigrade. Do you find yourself more oriented around? Uh, do you find yourself focusing around a world that's local, or often are you thinking of things in, in a, mm. a global perspective? Well, in, in terms of of uh, climate change, global for sure. Um, in terms of the thankfulness, mm -hmm. I think it is very that is very local. Yeah. Because. I'll think about how beautiful, like if I sometimes when I give thanks for my side, I'll say, I saw a beautiful street of Victorians and that architecture is just so beautiful. And getting back to how I fell in love with San Francisco, um, the uh, beauty of the architecture here, the beauty of the nature mm -hmm. here. Um, I used to go around to like Land's End and, and then ride my bicycle up to the top of uh, the hill on the other side of the Golden Gate Bridge and all, a lot of that kind of stuff just the natural beauty of the setting here as well as the architecture as well as the people mm -hmm. um, so uh, yeah that's that's uh, you know that's yeah, I mean, that's that's what hooked me yeah, yeah I hear uh, you know there's, there's a lot of positive feelings around like experiencing the local life here yes. in San Francisco that's uh, something that I think, uh, in, you know, in general, is, um, is oftentimes I, I feel like when we when we think of the broader world, it often it, it comes uh, along with heaping big problems on our shoulders, and that when we when we focus on the world around us in the immediate neighborhood, the people that we encounter, and the experiences we have locally. That, uh, that that usually you find, like when you're talking here, that suddenly life looks a lot more pleasant. It does. And then another thing I just thought of was just the historical context of what happened here um, in terms of the Haight-Ashbury. And I ended up getting a place in the Haight um, 
uh, and uh, very close to parks, Golden Gate Park, Buena Vista Park. Those are just absolutely spectacular, really beautiful. Yeah, it's easy to make the whole world's problems our own if we follow the news and we get anxious and we, you know, start thinking that prayer or, or meditating upon problems afar is going to help. There's definitely ways to be an activist, but one of the biggest ways we can actually improve our world is focusing on our communities and you know, on, on what actions we can take nearby to kind of improve life. And, and, and you know, and that carries, you know, dividends. It, it, it kind of, it, it kind of sends a shockwave, you know, if you just focus on being the best person you can be in your community. That's why, you know, people who don't watch TV as much tend to be happier in, in general because they're not, you know, they're not taking on all the problems of the world. Um, not to mention the subliminals. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so I, I do one of the questions that I like to ask um, here Dale is what would you like to see more of in San Francisco you know we like to kind of get positive here in terms of um, you know social change or, or community change well, what, what would you like to see more of in San Francisco I'd like to see a lot more of um, activism of people saying no to a lot of things that they just uh, accept in their daily life. Um, I'd like to see uh, much more um, togetherness. I'd like to see much less alienation uh, compared to the way that it was. I mean, I don't want to be like, you know, nostalgic or whatever, but um, there was much more togetherness and much more activism when I first moved here. And little by little, the power structure, um, I don't know if it has to do with the internet. People, like you said, they're lis- listening to podcasts, but, in a, but by themselves. And their, their power, the power of the masses, it feels like it has been vastly diminished. You don't see very many demonstrations. There are some, you do see some, but not enough. And people are just willing to accept... Um, a lot that they should not accept like what oh like oh like crap like homelessness like they should uh like the people who have houses that that uh should have more solidarity with the ho- the homeless people they should say no we don't we don't allow this to happen in the richest country that's like they should just have a general strike and say do something about the homeless give them homes do something for these people Half of America is like living paycheck to paycheck. And if they had like a, a, a general strike like they have in France over the pension thing uh, or the gilet jaune or whatever, um, uh, you, you would see some change. Oh, that's uh, funny, yeah. Because, yeah. There's, yeah, France, I mean, my, I get different views of it because my grandparents... You know, don't sometimes complain. I mean, sometimes you know, during Christmas season, for example, people on in, the workers, the train workers, went on strike, you know, for their pension or whatever, and then you know, a bunch of family members all around France could not make it to spend Christmas with their family, and that's a terrible thing, you know. I mean, but in the grand scheme, change was probably you know affected because of that, and so certain countries, yeah, like France, are are more. Uh, more open to you know acts of protest and and you know affecting change through that much more so and like when you're in France like you will see like uh, demographics that you would never see here like you'll see like elderly middle-aged women jumping the metro which you would never see in America you know what I mean and uh, um, you want more of that <laughs> yeah <laughs> yeah, yeah, I do. Uh, just, just because, just the like, uh, uh, you know, just the refusal of it, the refusal to accept like the the power structure, and um, uh, like for instance, I heard that like for the homeless encampment that the um, that the uh, people in Paris were going and and sleeping out with the homeless in solidarity. You don't see that here. You know what I mean? It, they've managed to alienate people and to classify people and divide and conquer people here much more so than in France. Um, and uh, who's they? The power structure, the 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 five thousand people who run everything, the interlocking directorates, 
of uh, major corporations, the people who own the media. Um, uh, you know, they say freedom of the press belongs to those who own one. Yeah, I, I uh, you know, I will say, like, I, someone like Mark Benioff, who started Salesforce and, and who has a lot of ties to, to the city, you know, he, he, he's, he's done his best to, you know, there's that plan C or whatever that went into effect, I believe, where, you know, one, at least 1% now of, you know, all the revenue from tech companies is going towards homelessness. And so it's like, That's wow, great. we have $300 million a year or something to spend on this issue. That's a lot of money to house people. Plus he's got a great uh, roof going on on that tower. Yeah. So it was for a little while it was the eye of Sauron. When I was in, yeah, when I was, was it really? When I was in, when I was in Salesforce Tower, I was like, hey, could you guys let me get the controls for that roof? Um, but they didn't. Yeah. So there's a lot of good stuff going on uh, in terms of, uh, I think we're trending towards, I mean, that's only, the changes from that are only happening recently now. It was last year that they passed that. But I agree. I mean, more more taxation and, and, and housing of people. Some cities have a rule where it's legal kind of to be homeless, right? So you kind of sweep everybody into a shelter or something. Uh, and that's how it is often. Uh, and that's, you know, one of the core things about San Francisco that, again, we'll come back to again and again. Um, and so, but yeah, otherwise, how do you propose, you know, how could we create more community here in San Francisco? Because a lot of people move here for jobs. And to be honest, a lot of people have a great community at work where they feel, you know, they have everything they need and they're, and they're fulfilled and they don't seek out as much outside of work. But some people aren't as fulfilled at work. I consider that to be corporate curated community. Yeah. And the whole purpose of that is to get people to um, be more productive. And so they form this little tribe within work. And then the work, and then it's very easy because uh, especially the tech jobs, they give them uh, various, uh, you know, bowling night or whatever. And then so naturally people want to um, want to congregate with the people who they're working with. And uh, they create this little bubble. And it becomes like an us and them uh, situation. But it's also... Yes. It's better than nothing. It's better than nothing. And, and also some companies do have uh, a great mission or purpose or some kind of mission or purpose, at least, where people feel fulfilled to have purpose in their lives and, and to be solving a problem. Yes. Um, like my roommate here works at Checker. Uh, and Checker, you know, they they believe in, in fair background checks. So they, 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 they hire a lot of people who have criminal backgrounds and... and and, and kind of give people a fair sh chance at a second chance, you know what I mean? So How's that working out? Yeah, I mean, it, it's, they're, they're doing, they have a somewhat of a social mission, and people who work there kind of feel that. So, you know, there's some good companies here in the Bay, honestly, who have good missions yes. and, and purpose to be, and, yes. and people who work there feel, you know, very fulfilled, and, and that's great. And more, I, I mean, hopefully that's a trend that will spread. Um, but not everyone, unfortunately, does have that kind of fulfillment at work. Some people are, all are looking for work, and so, you know, how to f how to you know fulfill oneself outside of work when it comes to community and, and values. Yeah, it does seem like it's very unique that in this day and age, so much of that you know core essence or, or what it means to be human and the needs of human have been kind of integrated into the work life, even. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner are, are served, and, and and everything you would ever want is served by your company, and so not everyone has that, you know, and so it's that's where there's kind of a divide of, uh, oh, like I feel like an outsider because everyone else is getting all this fulfillment from their job, and I'm not getting that, and so I feel like a little bit on the outside here. You do? Well, some yeah, I, sometimes I do because I'm not in a an A-list you know company culture, unfortunately, but. You know, some people are, and so there's kind of like a almost like a clicky kind of feel sometimes where some people have it all and some people don't. But like, how do we get beyond that? You know, what, what's what's the way forward here? Uh, remembering that even the people in the clicky A-list companies are still part of the 99 percent, and to never forget that. Part of the 99? Are you sure? They're not one yeah. percent. No, the one percent are the uh, uh, billionaires. That's true. So. Yeah. If I may, one of the uh, actually three questions were coming up over the last several minutes uh, relating to everything we were talking about. One of them, 
the first one is, um, have you thought about something that uh, you, you think that, like the listeners out here, people that, that want to do, do better, that want to connect more with the community, that you think that they could or should do, not a big thing, but something that uh, that they could try out, maybe even make a habit that would help bring them closer to the community and build some of these bonds and, and actually get them more involved with, uh, you know, the, uh, the, the problems that are on the ground in San Francisco. Second thing is, what would you like to see as wait, a wait, structure? Wait, wait, wait. That's a loaded question. Forward. Okay, so, oh, yeah, so, so the first thing is, what, what, you know, what do you think people could do, uh, you know, individually that, you know, where you feel like if everybody did this, we would be better off? Talking to people, talking to the homeless, for instance. I, I just talked to this guy, um, and I was asking him, okay, what's going on? Uh, he said that the hate is now a ghost town. Mm -hmm. um, and it's kind of true. I was, I was amazed because, uh, well, it used to be all about the upper hate, and then it was the lower hate, and now it's like NOPA. In terms of, and NOPA is like jumping, there's five times more going on than there is in e either the upper or the lower hate. And so, talking to people, talking to the homeless, they're instead of like, oh, an unwanted conversation, finding out how did they, how did they become homeless? Is, is it yeah. voluntary? And he, he referenced the fact that half the people are one paycheck away from being homeless, and more and more of them. Uh, are losing that one paycheck uh, and talking to people on the bus like I talked to you guys and now we have like some connection maybe and mm -hmm. so uh, instead of just being afraid and living in your little Instagram bubble or whatever it is you know what I mean yeah. uh, talk to people uh, I would say humanize that yeah coming coming out of uh, I was a student at UC Berkeley and there's a difference between the homeless that are here in San Francisco and the homeless that are next to the campus at UC Berkeley. The homeless that were over there next to campus, they, they, they kind of, they became part of the community. They were, they were often there playing a role, you know, that we had a number of characters that were involved out there. But I appreciated it. They, they added a lot of color to my experience. I knew a lot of people that said that they didn't want to go to Berkeley because it put them off. But I found that actually it was, when you start to get to know people, they have interesting stories to tell. And, you know, I could get into a number of individual stories, you know, individual characters. But, uh, you know, that, that's my, at least my experience going through college and afterward is that when you do start talking to people that are on the street, you realize they're really interesting. And Maybe more interesting than people who aren't living on the street sometimes. Yes. And I forgot to say in terms of my personal history that when I came out here for the summer, I'd been accepted to Johns Hopkins. Mm -hmm. And I was going to go to Hopkins, but I visited Baltimore and got a really bad vibe from Baltimore. Apologies to Baltimore people, but I just, it was like not I've me. Heard it's it's and, not that bad a city. And then when I, was, when I was going to state, I was going to transfer to Berkeley, but they had managed to do, to do some of this academic pushback. Mm -hmm. And... At state, I could just basically make my own major, do whatever I wanted. But if I wanted to get into Berkeley, I would have had to take an entire year of courses that I had no interest in taking whatsoever mm -hmm. just to get into Berkeley. So I was like, oh, it only matters where you go to graduate school, so I'll just stay at state. So That works. Now, my next question was, or is, as yet to be said here, um, what would you like to see as far as social structure for bringing people together? Uh, you know, we don't have, you know, the church used to fulfill a role in terms of bringing the community together in a lot of communities. And as people have stopped going to church, or people like myself, you know, or atheistic or agnostic, however we want to go about that, but... Born again. There's, uh, you know, I, I tend to feel that there there is a need for for structure, or there's a need for institutions that, that actually f that perform that role. I'm curious if you feel like there's something that we could use now, or if there's something that could be done to 
to provide that that uh, infrastructure. Orgies would be good. <laughs> yeah, free sex. Yeah. We get a big high five as a group right here, you know. We'll just trust that the audience knows that we did that. <laughs> but, yeah. Yeah, that's a tough question. Yeah, yeah mm -hmm. really tough. I, I don't really know. I um, haven't thought about that. I'm not much of a group person. That's, you know, I wouldn't join a group that would allow me to uh, join sort of thing. Mm -hmm. um, That's retro marks, right? Yes, I, I wouldn't want to be part of any club that would have me. Exactly. Um, and so, um, I don't know. Yeah, it's, it's a tough one. Like, what, what kind of brought us together before was the mystery of the Eucharist and all that and um, you know, believing in the afterlife together and and believing that we had certain rituals to perform that we needed to perform that were almost requirements. All rituals and, have their power. And that we, we we felt duty to perform these rituals together and that built togetherness. So it, it might be the answer might be to kind of just use science and, and health science and well-being to kind of uh, call to mind what are healthy habits and rituals that we can accomplish together and to make us, you know, you know, feel as one. And, and so that's where, you know, I'm part of quite a few like run clubs that feel like there's almost something spiritual in them because people, you know, suffer and, and run together and, and, face their fears and, and chat. Mutual masochism. Yeah, sure. I mean, anytime you're in pain with people and in pleasure with people, there's the huge kind of contrast. Well, that's the orgy thing. You know? Yeah, so there's, there's, you know, it's not always an orgy, but there's, you know, exercise. An orgy, not, an orgy of misery. Yeah, not always an orgy. <laughs> Communal exercise is one thing that, that brings people together. Um, for sure, and, and I think more and more yeah. of a focus on that is a good thing. More and more communal exercise. If there's one thing that we can all agree on, is that exercise is good. It right. used to be frisbee, actually. Yeah. So just go and throw a frisbee. Hey, I love that. And then throwing people a frisbee would, is my happy space. Yes, me too. And then and then people would come and and like uh, join the game. Yeah. You know, and that would be good too. And then you'd meet the the people who'd come and. Hey, can and I and that's where park spaces are so important. Yes. You know, I'm a, I'm personally like I'm a big uh, proponent of city parks having a really core, you know, effect on the people that are around them. And you know, not all communities have parks. In in Latin America, they don't really they have plazas, but they don't have parks. Zocalo. Zocalo. Where? That's like the main plaza. Oh, excuse me. I did actually didn't know the phrase. But, um, but yeah, the, the plazas perform a similar role, but it, it's different. Um, but in Northern Europe and in a lot of the United States, you have, you have city parks, you have big green spaces that you can run around on and kick a football, or kick a soccer ball, excuse me, throw a football, or throw a frisbee. And just that, that basic action is it's really calming. It's great exercise, and it really helps you meet people. And uh, so I'm with you on that. And it showcases uh, how robust you are, <laughs> yeah. so that the rest of the tribe can judge, decide which clan you should uh, join. Yeah. Yeah, and uh, you know, it'd be nice. To, it'd be nice to uh, kind of project the potential for a podcast that also brings together community, and, and it's solely focused on that, and uh, and the power that that could have for you know random people who you know, just moved to San Francisco. There's so many transient people here who moved to San Francisco for a job. Every day, there's new people coming off the boat, coming right. off the plane, ISFO, new tech job, new job, whatever. Um, so a lot of people new to the Bay, and, and I myself been here a year, and I can say there's moments where I did not feel terribly at home. I mean, it takes a little while to really fall in love with this town. And so just having an outlet, uh, a podcast or a, a media source where we can hear locals talk about the city, tell you the inside knowledge, and and kind of you know help you feel like it's a smaller town than it is, and it's already a very wonderfully beautifully small town, which is why you probably fell in love with it. 
So it's already a beautifully small town, but yep. I think a podcast that gives voices, gives a, a stage to local characters who you brush up against but you never really get deep with, that alone, I think, can have a big impact on people feeling more at home in their towns and their cities that they move to. And so I think the vision for this podcast, actually, Dale, is to someday create a network where there's local voices podcasts happening in every town. And there's a chilly night every Sunday for every town. So there's, you know, it's, it's almost like a new town forum where it's a little more intimate in that sense where you have one special character and that week is all about that character. So it's all about you, Dale. You know, in a perfect world, we'd ha already have a nice Instagram picture of you. We'd, we'd snap a cool picture of you in action, whatever, uh, you know, whatever makes you passionate. We'd have a picture of you in one of your orgies. <laughs> but like whatever is whatever makes you you we snap a picture have it on the on, on, on kind of the scrapbook on, on the on, on the in the portfolio of local voices well I would never join an orgy that I was invited to Groucho <laughs> Marx but um, uh, yeah I really like that I really like the idea of like having the podcast form like some sort of community like maybe some sort of group connection like people who hear it can can I don't know join a something we could always orgy have a weekly yeah. event you mm -hmm. know for for the listeners so you know step one is you know step one is honoring the local characters who deserve some respect but they're not getting you know I think a lot of there's a lot of cool characters in this town who bring smiles and 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 and, and bring joy to the community but aren't necessarily respected or or you know, given a voice, uh, and so that's my job is to go around the community and be like, hey, you know, you, you are a really awesome bartender. You you bring a lot of people joy. I, I want to know your story. Let's have the whole town hear your story, and let's put it all, make it all about you on, on this week, on this Sunday. And, and can so, I get some free drinks? And can I get some free drinks? <laughs> so, I, I think there's so many cool characters who make the, make a town what it is, but aren't always given a voice. And so, to have this opportunity to give them a voice. And, and, and that's step one. But then step two is building a following, building people who, who are fulfilled by hearing the voices of their community. And if they love the podcast enough to become loyal listeners, then suddenly you have an opportunity to create community for real, which is weekly events, random meetups. We post them on meetup.com, and, and it's all the infrastructure is already there. So the key is really just to have every week, you know, be someone new and fresh and, and 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 someone with a story to tell can i come back can you come back that's a that's a, that's tough dale i think to be honest we should establish a rule no no repeats at least in the first year you know we want to keep it fresh so it's it's going to have to be a, a tough long year for you dale before you can come back on the okay. podcast well by, by popular demand <laughs>